Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. You're listening to episode number 60. My name is Peter Thompson. I am here with my co-hosts, Lambrosirmos, Adi Bulubasis, Kosta Levoyanis, and our special guest for today, Chris Wheatley. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Hi guys. Yeah, no, I'm really good. Thank you. I'm really delighted to be on speaking to all of you. Um, and it's nice to see gate seven as well behind you as well. <laughs> yeah, well, we are, we're very excited to get into this game, huge match, and um, we'll just get a few quick announcements, podcast related announcements out of the way, and then we'll get into the real fun part here. First of all, it has to be said, congratulations to Pedro Martins, manager of Olympiacos for his hundredth win with the club massive massive accomplishment he's done so many great things for olympiacos thank you coach martins and we hope to have hundreds more wins uh if you stay at olympiacos forever we'll talk more about the win in question three nil against lamia uh after chris's portion of the podcast uh but we will provide some analysis on that game uh you may have noticed that the interview we had promised you with carpetopoulos did not come out. Unfortunately, we had to reschedule. There was a bit of a conflict there, but we will be presenting that interview to you at some point. A reminder, that one will be our first Greek episode, so I will not be there, um, but we know a good amount of our listeners speak Greek, and uh, you know that'll, that'll allow us to produce the best content with Karpetopoulos there, and obviously he's very big in Greek football, so we wanted to make sure we could get him on. That one's probably going to have to wait until after all this Arsenal business, so We'll have more info on that later, and we'll let you know as soon as we can. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media, Gate7INTL, 7 as in the number 7, um, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit to keep an eye out for more information there. On Tuesday, March 9th, we are very excited to announce that we will be joined by Robbie Lyle from AFTV to preview the match against Arsenal. Robbie is obviously a big legend in the content creation world. He's created quite a popular uh, channel in AFTV. They've got tons and tons of subscribers. And of course, he's also an incredibly passionate Arsenal fan. So we will be getting into the game with him. And we will also have a segment on the AFTV YouTube channel where you will get to hear some of us chat with Robbie about Olympiacos and let him know what he's up against. On Friday, March 11th, the day after the first leg, we will have a post-game podcast joined by Michael Kishani, who is a writer for Arsblog, who you can follow on Twitter at Arsblog. He also writes for football.london and about. He'll be joining us for the post-game chat. Hopefully, it's not like when we had Antonion after the Panathinaikos game, and you know we can be a little bit more excited about the result, but of course, we'll have to see. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, Piraeus International. Piraeus International has been helping Greeks ship to and from the motherland during COVID-19. Shipments to Greece are going out from Baltimore, Maryland every month. Fill any large U-Haul box, 18 by 18 by 24, send it to our friends in Baltimore, and it will be shipped to the port of Piraeus for only $50. Better yet, fill any large wardrobe box and send it for $100. Give them a call at 410-675-4696 or send an email to sales at piraeusintl.com. Now that that's out of the way, Chris, we'll just start off by asking you a few questions. So this is one question we ask to pretty much all of our journalists or bloggers or writers that we have on the show. Uh, we are interested in when you started following football, 
where did your love of football begin? And then after that, um, why are you an Arsenal fan and how did you develop a passion for that club? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I started supporting the club um, from the age of seven years old. I think it was, I went into, uh, I was at my cousin's house. Um, I, I was, at, I saw a poster in his bedroom. I think it was Dennis Burkamp at the time. Um, and I said, who is this guy? The, he said, it's the Iceman. Um, I had no idea who the Iceman was. Um, and from then on, I was an Arsenal fan. So it's not the most interesting of stories, but um, I've been supporting the club from a young age. Um, and then I kind of started my own Arsenal website. And that's how I kind of got into the journalism side of things. But yeah, I've always been a, an Arsenal fan from a young age. And for me to cover the club, it's like a dream job. Um, as you can imagine, going to every game, home and away. It's uh, especially at the moment, I know how kind of privileged I am to do that. So I'm really, really fortunate, even if the team aren't playing as well as I would like them to, to play. But it's uh, it, it's great fun. And um, yeah, I guess that's kind of my my story to becoming an Arsenal fan. Well, so you mentioned it's uh, it's been a bit of a rough go for Arsenal in recent years. Of course, winning the FA Cup is a great accomplishment. Um, always nice to get another trophy in the trophy case. But the European uh, campaigns, there's there's a little to be desired there. So, you know, obviously, Arsene Wenger, legendary manager, uh, he ended his time at Arsenal a few years back, and they're still sort of in that transition period. Had, you know, Unai Emery and now Arteta as the manager. So I, I figure we should just ask, how do you think that transition has been since the Wenger out movement? And uh, do you think the club is better off? Do you think they're going in the right direction um, sort of in a, in a long-term sense? It's a good question. Uh, I'd say that Arsenal are definitely in transition, as you said, but I think one of the biggest things we've seen this season um, is that there has been improvement under Mikel Arteta. I think they, Last time I checked, they had the second or third best defence in the league, despite being in 10th position. Um, and when you look at the points in the Premier League as well, there's not that much difference. There's not that much of a gap between 10th and 4th or 5th place, um, the 5th place team. I would say that's kind of a sign that this season is almost like a write-off because of the coronavirus. We've seen so many different results, some crazy results. Players getting injured every week. Um, I think... You know, it's difficult to kind of make a, an assessment this season of how well Arsenal have done. Um, but, you know, this is the crunch period now coming into most crucial 13 days, I think. Um, these two games against Olympiacos are, are very, very important, of course. And they're going to define Arsenal's season. But they've also got a North London derby sandwiched in between uh, those two games. So it's it's pretty much the three most important games of Arsenal's season. Because if they, they lose against Olympiacos and they get knocked out of Europe, um, you'd have to worry financially how that's going to affect the team for next season, especially in attracting players as well. Because we know Arsenal uh, want to sign players this summer. Uh, they want to add to what they have already. I'd be concerned that they won't be able to attract the kind of players they want to if they don't qualify for Europe. So um, that's the biggest concern for me. Um, and that's why they really need to make sure that they, they progress as far as they can uh, in, in the Europa League. As, as the followers know, as Greeks, we kind of have two teams. We have a team abroad and we have a team in Greece. And my team has always been Arsenal. And 
post Wenger, I Peter's alluded to it. I've been a, a bit disappointed, and I kind of wanted to ask you. Us Greeks were a little disappointed with the treatment of Socrates Papastathopoulos at the end of his time at Arsenal and the way he kind of was moved to the U23s and was seemingly disrespected. Another player was treated like that. Um, I guess you could say Mesut Ozil, again, after the COVID-19 situation was kind of outcasted. I know you did some interviews with him. What was that all about? And would you say they mistreated these players almost? Because in Greece, there was a bit of a harsh reaction to the way Socrates was 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 treated. And I know a lot of other fans may have also been upset with the way Mesut Ozil was treated as well there at the end. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, 100% he was he was mistreated. Um, Socrates, I'm talking about. And it, it was really disappointing to see the way that his time at the club came to an end because Socrates is a player who gave almost two years service to the club. Um, he was part of the team that reached the Europa League final. He even came on towards the end of the FA Cup final and made an, made an important tackle on, on Pedro last season. Um, yeah, for, for me, Socrates, as far as I know, it was never explained to him why he he wasn't picked. I think it was just purely footballing reasons. Um, but regardless, there are players, someone like Squadra Mustafi, um, with all due respect to him, wasn't good enough to play for Arsenal in the Europa League or really at any level this season. And Socrates in my view, is a, a much better player than Squadron Mustafi. And he should have been included in the squad, even if he's not a regular starter. Um, look, Socrates, I think a lot of Arsenal fans, they know that he's someone that I, I like because of, I'm, you know, of Greek heritage. Um, he's someone that, you know, I have a huge respect for. And when you look at what he's done in his career, um, played for the likes of AC Milan, um, Borussia Dortmund, won trophies in both of those countries. I think he deserved a lot more respect um, than he received. And that's something that Socrates has posted as well uh, on his own social media. He was a bit upset, I think, with the way he was uh, portrayed in the Greek media, um, especially for playing for the under-23s, which he deserves a lot of credit for. Um, because Meza Ozil, you mentioned Meza Ozil there, but their situations, I would say, are a little bit different because Ozil was left out of the squad for footballing reasons, um, despite what maybe some people uh, have said. For me, uh, from what I've heard inside the club, he was left out for footballing reasons only. Um, he was given the opportunity to play for the under-23s. He, he, he decided not to, and he, that's completely within his own right. Um, but Socrates wanted to play for the under-23s to keep his fitness up uh, ahead of moving in January. And he was very close to leaving in, in October or the summer transfer window there are a few teams interested in him uh, but unfortunately it didn't happen I think Napoli were one team but because Koulibaly didn't go to Manchester City that move didn't go through uh, and in the end I think the the way the Olympiacos move came about it, I, I'm not sure it was uh, maybe his first choice club um, in terms of I think he would have liked to have maybe gone to Spain or to Germany or Italy but because of the way the market was because of the virus really it was the only viable option for him and uh, I'm happy for him I'm really happy for his family that now he's playing regularly um, and I'm sure he's gonna he's gonna have a good game he's gonna be really up for it against uh, Arsenal next week he's gonna be wanting to prove to Mikel Arteta uh, how uh, it was a kind of mistake to leave him out for all those all those months. You actually briefly brought up uh, kind of what we wanted to get into next before we moved on into a broader breakdown of Arsenal but 
you have some Greek heritage. And we talked about this before we started recording, your love for Greek football. Uh, our listeners would love that somebody in England that covers English Premier League ball has a passion for Greek football. So tell us more about that. Uh, we, you know, Lambro was actually the first one to kind of guess it for us when he saw that you were posting about Socrates, like this guy has to have some connection to Greece. He's watching Greek football. Otherwise, how would he have seen that? So give our listeners a little bit of insight into your love of Greek football. Yeah, so I'm of Greek heritage. My my dad is from the, the Peloponnese. I, I was never taught Greek, so I can't, I can't speak fluently, but I do have a, a passion for the country. I spend a lot of time there. I go to Athens pretty much every year. Um, and in terms of my my kind of love for Greek football, I've, I've always followed it. Um, not so much over the past few years, but I mean, when you look at the, the competitiveness over the, the last few years, I think that's one of the things I really do um, like about Greek football now is that perhaps it was kind of Olympiakos dominating before, but in recent seasons, you've seen the likes of um, Ike and, and Pauk who have both come into the kind of fray in terms of winning the championship. Um, and that's one of the things I like. I think it doesn't, the, the Greek Super League doesn't get the credit that it deserves. I think a lot of people maybe turn their noses up at it. Um, but for me, it's definitely a better league than, for example, the Turkish League, who get a lot more media coverage than the Greek League because of, I don't know, Fenerbahce and Galatasaray, obviously big teams. But when you look at um, Greek football and Greek football players, I think over the past few years that there's definitely been a rise in that kind of technical ability. There's been an increase in um, what I would say, I think it's been more, it's more interesting um, to watch now. And I think there's been some great games with the English teams and, and Greek teams over the, the years as well. But yeah, I would say that Greek football doesn't get the, the coverage that it deserves uh, in Europe, at least. We would definitely agree with you. And it warms my heart to hear that, <laughs> especially coming from uh, an English journalist when we hear a lot of, not quite as nice commentary about it, uh, especially with a lot of the journals that cover the games. It always seems like when we do something right, it's not that we actually did it right. It's because somebody did something wrong. And I'm going to call someone out in particular who I have uh, messaged on social media myself under the podcast account. And that's James Pierce, especially when it comes to Simikas. He almost seems like he has never anything good to say about Greeks or Greek players. But it's very refreshing for us to hear that uh, coming from somebody who covers the Premier League uh, and sees some of the value that is in Greece. Look, thank you. I, I, let me just cut in there because I, I would say like Simikas, he's not playing at Liverpool at the moment, but he's just come back from, a, from an injury. There's a reason he's at Liverpool. His performances in Europe for Olympiacos last season were outstanding. You know, he dominated the left-hand side against Arsenal and um, the other teams as well that they played in, in Europe. And um, I think there's a, there's a snobbery. There's a, maybe a snobbery, a bit of a ignorance towards Greek football. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, but that's definitely what I've kind of found. I think people, they, they choose to focus more on uh, maybe corruption, um, which, yeah, there has been corruption, but there's also been corruption in leagues across the world, not just Greek football. Um, uh, and like I say, I think Greek football has definitely been cleaned up over the last few years and there's more um, competitiveness and it's more exciting. And uh, yeah, hopefully that, that kind of snobbery will eventually 
um, be taken away, um, the more successful the Greek teams are in Europe. Something we hear a lot is Farmers League. When yeah, the Brits I, refer to English, sorry, when the Brits refer to Greek football, Farmers League is what we hear a lot. Yeah, I mean that's really. I, I think that's disrespectful, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, to you could say that about the Scottish League. You could say that about the Scottish League here as well in the in the UK. I mean, there's only two teams in in Scotland. You know, in, in terms of yeah. competing for the league this season, obviously Rangers have won the league today, but. Um, yeah, I think it's disrespectful. And I think it, maybe in the UK, especially, we have a kind of one-sided view um, or a lot of people have a one-sided view that the Premier League is the kind of the only league in the world um, that everyone should kind of bow down to, to the Premier League. But I think, you know, football fans, real football fans will take an interest in in Greek football, in European football, because, you know, a lot of good players come out of these leagues. Um, we've seen a lot of top players come out of these leagues and I think Samikas is definitely one of many examples. It's interesting that you mentioned that um, you see a rise in in the technical ability of Greek footballers and uh, generally I'd say over the last 10 to 15 years we've been known as a nation that produces very very good central defenders. Uh, I think it's to anybody that really you know knows the football world I think it's it's a fact over the last 10-15 years that all the big clubs have been looking to nab up young Greek talent um, playing in in defense um, now we have players like Timikas coming through or Zolis uh, the winger attacker at, at Balk who just signed with a big agency and is looking for a, a big move Manchester United apparently one of many clubs looking at him so I know that's uh, interesting to to hear that from you I just want to maybe make a segue into the upcoming game and quote something that our friend Stephen Kuduru uh, wrote in a recent article previewing the Olympiakos Arsenal game and uh, correct me if I'm wrong guys pretty much his title was uh, in his article that there are three certainties in life death, taxes, and Olympiakos Arsenal in Europe. So are Arsenal fans fed up of seeing us when, uh, whenever we draw each other? Yeah, I think, the, I think the fans, when that draw came out, were, <laughs> were pretty irritated that it's uh, Olympiakos again. For me, obviously, I was kind of excited. I didn't share my, my feelings on social media, but I was pretty excited to, to see that Olympiakos drawn out of the hat. Um, it's again, it's such a shame that the fans aren't in, inside the stadium um, for this one because last season the atmosphere, the, the Karaskakis was amazing. Um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's a kind of, it was a predictable draw and I think there's not going to be that much between the two sides um, after last season's game. I think Olympiakos deserved to go through. I think they, they were tactically well drilled. They did really well. Um, and it's going to be another tight game. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not a huge surprise to see these two teams meet again. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing seeing how Arsenal get on against them. Well, let's get into the Gunners themselves, Chris. And, you know, some, some fans might, you know, it's the Premier League, so obviously it's very well followed. But, you know, for some folks who don't get to catch every game, um, we want to know, like, where the team are at right now. I mean, we talked about, you know, things haven't been the same. Arsenal, obviously, historically a very big club. And, you know, right now they're sitting in 10th in the Premier League. Um, as you said, defensively, they've been pretty good. 
uh, fifth least goals conceded uh, so far in the Premier League. Uh, they're 10th currently in goals four, or in goals scored, I should say, uh, with Aubameyang and Lacazette producing a lot of those goals. Um, what is the general game plan for Arsenal, would you say? Like, how, how do they want to play? You know, is it, is it just basically Aubameyang and hope for the best? Or, you know, Saka has obviously been very good as well. So what do you see as the general formation and playing style of Arsenal this year? Well, Mikel Arteta has always said that he wants to play a 4-3-3. Um, that's his kind of long-term vision. Um, but he said that he's not doesn't really have the players to do that at the moment. Um, so this season, it's kind of been a 4-3-1-2 or a 4-2-3-1. Um, in possession, Arsenal have played it with three at the back at times. Um, but I think the, the biggest kind of takeaway from the kind of tactical blueprint that Arteta is trying to instill at the club is he wants to play attractive football. Um, I'd say that at the moment, he feels that he doesn't have the players to do that. So it's just about getting results at the moment. I'd say the football hasn't been too bad, actually. Um, there was a really rocky spell in November and December when Arsenal were really poor. I haven't seen Arsenal play that bad in, in my lifetime. Um, and I think in terms of the history books, some of the results, you know, we hadn't seen in about 20, year, 30 years. So Mikel Arteta managed to turn things around because I, for me, his job was kind of on the line, at least. Arsenal always said that they had full faith in him, that he was going to stay, um, all this kind of stuff. But I think if he carried on losing games, then his position would have been untenable. Um, and it was the, the game against Chelsea on Boxing Day, which Arsenal were unbelievable in. You know, they fielded um, ML Smith Rowe. It was his first start in the Premier League uh, that season. And he was outstanding. Um, and the biggest problem before that was the creativity. You know, they, they couldn't create chances. Um, and even against Olympiacos last season, we saw that there was kind of a struggle to create chances. Uh, and the, one ch the chances they, they did create, they missed. So that has been the biggest problem this season for Arsenal, the creativity void. Um, they brought in Martin Odegaard from Real Madrid on loan to try and kind of sort that out. He's done pretty well so far, and I think he's going to be a key player until the end of the season. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest the biggest positive for Arsenal, at least, is the youngsters. You know, I think you guys you probably all know about Bakayo Saka is one of the best players, one of the best young players in Europe at the moment. Um, Smith Rowe has done fantastically well. Gabriel Martinelli hasn't played as much, but Arsenal have a lot of good young players. And and like I said earlier, earlier the gap between where Arsenal are and where the likes of Everton are is not that big. Um, and I think that's one of the things maybe the fans need to take a look at um, because there's still plenty of time left to go in the season. There's still time Arsenal could qualify for Europe, looking unlikely um, via the Premier League, but they still could. So um, it's been an indifferent season, but we know that this is a kind of process that Arteta is trying to build um, at the club. And he's, he's already won a couple of trophies as well. So... Uh, for me, Arsenal are on the right track. But like I said, this is a crucial period now coming up for the club. Tell us a little bit more about the wing play. How important is the wing play to the development of Arsenal's game, establishing wit, even the overlapping wing backs? Uh, we see that Arsenal in the Premier League is uh, top five when it comes to crosses. So 
it appears that part of the core game plan is to establish that width so that more things can happen centrally. Uh, do you mind elaborating on some of that for the audience? Yeah, I'd say that the biggest kind of plus point from from Arsenal season in terms of the the wide players has been the likes of Kieran Tierney and Bukayo Saka and their understanding on the left-hand side. And that has been able to kind of um, create space for the midfielders. And it's also um, seen Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang get into form at times this season. I think that is the most important part of this Arsenal team, that left-hand side. And that could cause problems to, to Olympiacos because I feel like um, when on form, that, that left-hand side is unstoppable and it creates a lot of problems for, for opposition teams in the Premier League. Um, but I would say as much as the width is important, the partnership as well in central midfield with, with Thomas Partey and Granit Xhaka is very important. Um, Partey in particular really is a really important part of the team. He didn't have the best of games against Burnley at the weekend, but when he's you know really playing well, he progresses the ball forward um, and he can create chances from from the heart of midfield. And his running is really, really important as well. But yeah, as you mentioned about the wide players, I'm not 100% sure who could start at right back uh, next week. I think it could be Cedric Suarez because of the way that his overlapping runs this season have um, really helped Arsenal um, kind of create chances and score goals. Uh, I think the game against Leicester he made an overlapping run, which kind of took the, the Leicester defender with him and Arsenal managed to, to score from it. That's really important. That's an, that's an important part of, of Arteta's setup. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure who will start right back. It's either Cedric or, or Hector Bellerin. Um, But, yeah, it's an important part of the way Arsenal play. But, it's uh, like I say, it's a work in process at the moment. I think it's almost like a rebuild job for Mikel Arteta. He had to sell a lot of players in January or get rid of players. He's going to get rid of more players in the summer. So, you know, it's it's not a settled team at the moment, but um, I, I do have a, I do think Arsenal have a good chance of, uh, of progressing uh, against Olympia course over two legs. I have a couple of questions. Is Kieran Tierney, is he fit? Is he playing now? Yeah, yeah, he's I... fit. Um, he's had injury problems this season, but... Yeah. Um, I'd expect him to start both both legs, yeah. And he's been playing with Saka in front of him in general, and um, you've been playing with Aubameyang as as the point man. Mostly, yeah. But we've seen Nicola Nicola Pepe come in as well, um, and he's actually a player who, again, he possibly could start because I think he started the game against Olympiacos um, last season. He's yeah, he's a really good player. He's really tricky. He can create chances as well. He's been a bit inconsistent, I think, as well. But this season, he's kind of stepped up at times um, and he's going to be a really important part of that team. So, yeah, I think Pepe, he can play on the right. He's played on the left as well um, against Villa. He played on the left. So um, that's the thing about Mikel Arteta's side. You don't know exactly what team he's going to field. He doesn't have a settled 11, um, which is, I guess, one of the plus points for Arsenal. It means that the Olympiacos, they might not be able to guess, you know, what kind of team... Um, Arsenal are going to play. I think that's that's very interesting what you just told us about the the left hand side. I mean, I remember even e even last season and and historically maybe even Arsenal just that that very threatening left hand side. Whether it's Aubameyang now or whether it was Henri in the past, you know, you could just see Arsenal building up the play down the left and cutting inside. But that's an interesting tactical um, 
point for us because you know you ask I asked the question now will we go defensive on the right hand side to try and block that will we bring Masuras onto the right hand side or will we play Masuras still on the left normally Masuras always starts on the left but uh, we have a new right back uh, Rafinha went back to Brazil he stayed with us for six months after joining from Flamengo and uh, and now we've signed a French player 28 years old I think his name's Lala came from Strasbourg uh, he was well he is highly rated I think he was uh, the second uh, best defender or best right back in France according to to Scout. Ari you can correct me if I'm wrong but again that he's a player that's played two three games with us he's not fully gelled and that's that's dangerous when you've got players like Saka when you've got players like Obama Yang and uh, players like Kieran Tierney that can run up and down the wing all day long. So that's something interesting to to think about. And to your point about having a squad where you can mix and match and keep the opposition manager guessing, it's very much something that uh, Coach Martins likes to do as well. He's been with us for three years. He knows the squad. He knows the players very well. And uh, he likes to change the formation in-game as well. He could start with a 4-2-3-1 on Thursday, which could very easily change to a 4-3-3 or even a 4-4-2 uh, during the game. He's done that a number of times this season and last season. I have a question about another Arsenal player, Chris, and that's uh, David Luiz. Very controversial and polarizing player, I believe. A lot of people don't, don't like David Luiz very much, but um, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's been the center back or one of them at least. And it seems reasonably likely, I guess they could go Mari and holding as well, maybe, but it seems likely that he might see some action at some point against Olympiacos. What have your thoughts been on David Luiz since he's come into Arsenal? Obviously he gets in the headlines a lot for the mistakes he makes and the red cards and everything, but what do you think about him as a player? Do you think he deserves to be getting in? And do you think that we'll see him um, in this tie at some point? Yeah, personally, I'm not a huge fan of David Luiz. I don't think he's, I don't think he's what Arsenal needed at the time when they signed him, and I, I don't think he's what Arsenal need now. Um, I guess the plus point of having David Luiz in the squad is his experience and all the obvious kind of things to to state about him is that he's 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 good at the training ground, and um, I think Arteta has, has said many times that he's good for the younger players. But I think as well, you look at Louise's history everywhere he's been there's kind of been issues there's been problems um uh, and I, I you know I, I don't want to make the whole podcast about Socrates but uh, it's surprising to me how Louise has has managed to stay in the team and Socrates has you know gone back to Greece for me that's that's a huge surprise and I think one of the things that Mikel Arteta likes about Louise is that he's good against teams who play um the high press so he he likes to bring the ball out he can create chances you know his passing is one of his uh his strengths but for me he's never been a center back he's always been a kind of like deep lying defensive midfielder um and you've mentioned his mistakes yeah there's been red cards as well that was the red card against wolves recently which definitely wasn't a red card so we can forgive him for that one but there's been other red cards there's been the man city game um where in his post-match interview, he was talking about his his contract, his contract extension. There's been some strange incidents, but 
Yeah, I, I, I think he will probably play because he's an experienced defender uh, and Arsenal don't have too many experienced defenders. Pablo Mari is uh, probably the next experienced player. Rob Holding has done okay this season. He signed a new contract extension, so he's a part of that team long-term. Um, it's a good question. Uh, in terms of who could start centre-back, I think Gabriel, the Brazilian, possibly could start um, alongside Luiz. Um, but again, centre-back has been a position which is not settled for, for Mikel Arteta. So I think, I think we could see maybe maybe Luis with uh, Gabriel or Holding. It's uh, Marie as well has done well. Uh, he's actually been one of the better players. He's come back from injury. He started against Chelsea. Um, he's been in and out of the team, but he's proven to be a good signing. But yeah, no, I do agree with you on Luis. I think he's uh, his contract uh, runs out this summer. If I was Mikel Arteta, I wouldn't extend it. Um, and from what I've heard, the, there's no plans at the moment to extend it. So um He's a, I guess he's a, an adequate player to have until the end of the season. I, I don't know, maybe he's similar to, to Avram Papadopoulos in, in terms of what he offers, um, that experience, you know, that older head who can give advice to the younger players, but he's not someone who's going to play week in, week out. I'm 100% a David Luiz hater. Uh, Chris, you might not know this, but Lambro and I are actually, we're both Arsenal fans. Obviously, Libyakos above all else, but in the Premier League, Arsenal's our team. And we discuss them frequently between Lambro and I. And I have always hated, hated David Luiz. I hated him at Chelsea. I hate him for Brazil. I just don't like him. I have dreams about just shaving that mop of a hair and making my own industrial mop out of it. There's more value in that industrial mop of his hair than it is for him on the field. I hate him as a defensive player. <laughs> I like his ball playing ability. I think, he's a, I think he's great with the ball at his feet. But unfortunately, he irritates the high hell out of me as an actual center back. So... In terms of team weaknesses, do you see David Luiz as a weakness that Olympiacos can expose on the offensive end? Is he somebody that, besides my bias of against him and the fact that I don't like him, and because I don't like him, I think he's a weakness, do you think that is a reasonable point of attack for Olympiacos? Yeah, I think he, I think he is a a potential weak link in the Arsenal team. But I think the thing with David Luiz, you don't know if he's going to have a good game or not. Um, you know, he is that kind of player who can turn up and have a really good game in defence. But at the same time, there's been occasions where you just think, you know, what are you doing? What What is going on over there? I think there's a, there's a few weak links in the Arsenal team. Um, I mean, we mentioned earlier about the wide players. I'd say that um, Hector Bellerin has been... I'd say quite inconsistent this season, and uh, I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna. Uh, it looks like he's gonna leave this summer. I mean, Barcelona are interested in him. PSG have been reportedly interested in him. So there's a lot of players with unsettled futures, and I think that also that plays a big part in in next week's tie because there's a lot of players who I think have one eye on the summer and perhaps where they're going to go next. Um, that's been the big problem with Arsenal this season is that uh, a big part of the squad have been unsettled. Um, we have the likes of Socrates, Mustafi, Ozil, Kolasinac. All of these players, you know, don't have long-term futures at the club. Um, so it was very unsettling, I, I think, for the, for the other players. Um, and that's, that's been one of the weaknesses or the problems for Arsenal this season. And building off that, so... I'm not going to go on a rant about David Luiz like Adi, but uh, 
So as an Arsenal fan, I've I've really enjoyed Gabriel as well. I think he's added a lot to the back line in that left side of the defense with Tierney and him is quite good. And then Leno's a fantastic keeper for me. The question for me is, is Partey fit? Because I know he's had some problems. And I think even in the North London Derby, the last one, he got injured and he pulled up slow. Is he ready to go? Because that really is the biggest factor to me. Because last year when we played and it was a midfield, I think it was Ceballos and and Xhaka, there just was no running in that midfield. And we took advantage of that so clearly. Xhaka was having a really poor game in, at the Emirates. I remember just misplaced ball, misplaced ball. And uh, the Greeks can't say Xhaka. They always say Saka as well. So they say Saka the same as, so it's always hilarious. And so it's like, Zaka, mistake, Saka, mistake. But hilarious. So that's the biggest thing to me. Can, is Partey fully ready to go 90 minutes, giving it his all? And if not, is it... Is it going to turn into a Xhaka Ceballos midfield? Because for me, that is just terrible midfield pairing. Like, I, I almost think Olympiacos' midfield pairing is better than that for a team so big as Arsenal. It's kind of crazy to say. But, yeah, I hope, I, for, hopefully for us, it's Ceballos and Xhaka. I would yeah, say Bukhalakis I... over Xhaka any day, just just saying. Okay, let, let him answer Bukhalakis. <laughs> wow, Bukhalakis after his goal... Um... Uh, thank you. Someone tweeted earlier that I made his goal a goal go viral as well, which I, um, I'm honoured to <laughs> to be True. affiliated with. You did. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was um, yeah, that was a, that was a great goal. And he's a player I like as well, Bukalakis. He, he you know he wasn't a star player when he went to Nottingham Forest. He was. Um, I don't think the Forest fans have have many good things to say about him. But in terms of what he's done now, you can tell he's one of the most improved um, Greek players. I think that's one of the things that I've. I really like about him and I keep an eye on him and Masuras and um, the other guys in the team. But yeah, going back to, going back to your question, I think if Arsenal play Ceballos and Xhaka in midfield there, they've lost the tie. Um, I think Thomas Partey, I already said in earlier on is a key player for Arsenal in terms of progressing the, the ball forward. He has had his injury problems this season, which is, which is worrying because, you know, he didn't have a preseason. Um, he came straight into the team. Um, I think that's, that's kind of had a part to play in it as well. He's had to, he's been playing when he's been injured as well at some time, at some points, the game against Tottenham, he was pushed back on by Mikel Arteta when he was injured. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's crucial that Partey starts alongside Xhaka and Xhaka is another one who gets a lot of criticism. I think mean, a lot of Arsenal fans don't like him personally i think he he's a player i admire for his character his personality because he's he's bounced back from so many difficulties in in at the club you know there's been so many issues so many problems um, but every time he's bounced back and i think for that i think he deserves um, a bit of respect but you know when party is playing well Xhaka can play well as well and Xhaka is a player who can pass between the lines he can cause problems with his distribution I know he wasn't good as you said um, in the ties last season but he has actually been one of Arsenal's most improved players over the last few months so I think that partnership between Xhaka and party is crucial um, for Arsenal to to get anything out of the the, the ties. Now you've given us kind of a little bit of an uh, a broader idea kind of how Arsenal shape up, the players that you think are the key players. But you also mentioned that Arteta doesn't really have a lot like a set 11. There's a lot of changes. There's no, there's not an 11 of fixed players that are in that starting lineup. So how do you think Arteta, based on the 
the Benfica, the results of the second leg against Benfica, the Burnley draw, the Leicester win. What do you think he, he could be lining up? How's he going to adjust for, for the first leg of this tie? I don't think there'd be too many changes from the, the game against Burnley um, at the weekend. Um, I think Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is obviously going to lead the line. Um, he's a player who has been in better form in recent games. Um, I think Willian, again, he's a player who made a big difference in the game against Benfica. Um, he came on, he assisted. Um, and again, he's a player who's had a lot of criticism this season, but um, it looks like he's finally showing you know, some of his qualities, at least, which, you know, Arsenal fans really expected of him um, throughout the season. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect too many changes at all from the team that played against Burnley. Um, I think Callum Chambers came in at right back. Um, he's a player who hasn't played at all, really, this season. It was his first Premier League start for over two years because he's had a uh, an injury. Um so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect many changes at all from, from Burnley, yeah. Um, and I'm just looking at the team now in terms of Arsenal's options, like off the bench as well, the likes of Martinelli, Lacazette. You know, they do have good players to come off. The You know, Arsenal's squad is, when fully fit, they have a lot of quality players to choose from. So I think that's one of the plus points now going into the, these games is that Arsenal don't have any injuries. Uh, ML Smith-Rowe was rested for the, the game in the weekend, so he'll be back. So I think that is the plus point, really, that Arsenal have a have no injury worries, fully fit squad to choose from. So um, that that is uh, that's good news for them. And a real quick question with the North London Derby, I think you said Saturday or Sunday. Is there a chance he rotates even for that? Or is the, uh, for in my opinion, the Europa League's everything for Arsenal, right? To get back into the Champions League. So I would assume he would put out the strongest 11 for Europa League. But is there a chance maybe he's looking ahead to that one and may keep a few players on the bench? No, I, I don't think he'll rest players with one eye on the on the on the derby. And I don't I think he's gonna play as strong a team as he can in, in each game again against Olympiacos, against Tottenham. I think he's gonna play as strong as he can. It'll just depend on the players who you know what, kind of in the red zone who need to be rotated because they're at risk of injury. Um, we've seen that with Arteta all season, that he's never he's never really rested players unless they've needed to be rested. And that's why there's been a few injuries this season as well. Um, but that's one of the things I like about Arteta, that he does go full strength. You know, I think the next, like I said, the next few games are crucial. And that Tottenham game for the fans is very, very big. So, um, I, I don't see any reason why he would rest players um, unless they need to be rested. So th there'll there'll probably be a few changes, um, but I, I would only expect maybe two or three for for the game against Tottenham to be changed. Chris, you mentioned uh, Roy Smith earlier, and uh, I have to say I really haven't watched a lot of Arsenal this year, but I have heard his name popping up a lot recently. How would you describe him? Uh, is he like an Aaron Ramsey on a good day? Um, that's one one question I, I, I want to ask you. Um, the second one about the game, a lot of talk from Arsenal fans about wanting revenge going into this game because of what happened last season. Now, I think we've played each other 10 times in European competition since 2009. If I'm not mistaken, it's five wins for us and five wins for you. And the last couple of times, it's been wins for Arsenal in Greece and wins for Olympiacos 
in London. Um, how do you, you know, what's your take on all of this? We want revenge. Do you think that's something that could cloud the player's judgment a little bit? Um, what do you think the feeling in the dressing room is going into this game? Yeah, uh, for for Smith Rowe, firstly, I think he's a... Uh, to describe him, I think you've got it spot on, to be honest. For someone who doesn't watch much of Arsenal, it's a pretty like accurate description. Um, yeah, Aaron Ramsey, I guess he's kind of similar. Um, he, he's more of a... He's more of a number 10 or he's been playing more of a number 10 than a box-to-box midfielder. Um, I'd say he's a, maybe not a traditional number 10, um, but he he comes deep to get the ball at times. He's actually a kind of player who you know works really, really hard. And that's one of the reasons why he managed to get himself into the Arsenal team um, ahead of someone like Meza Ozil, of course. You know, Mikel Arteta wants players who work really hard for the team. Um, and if they don't work hard, they're out. And that's what we've seen this season in January. He got a lot of players out who he didn't feel suited the team. Um, so I think Smith Rowe, again, he's kind of had a injury problems over the last few games. So I'm not 100% sure his start, um, but he does offer a lot to Arsenal. Um, and he's been one of the, the surprise kind of players of this season. And I, I'm, I'm happy for him because he's a very humble player, very ambitious young player and uh yeah i think fingers crossed that he'll be fit for the game i'm not sure he will start but i think he could come on at least um so yeah a a top top prospect in terms of um revenge in terms of getting revenge and i think it's been spoken about a lot but Yang was asked recently um when he scored the winner against uh, benfica he was asked if he had the olympiacos miss in his mind and he said yes um so if he had the miss in his mind uh, against Benfica then I'm sure when he's he's playing against Olympiacos he's going to have that at least at the back of his mind subconsciously knowing that what happened last season cannot happen again this season he's a great player Aubameyang he's he's someone I really like watching him he got criticism again like many players earlier on in the season for not scoring enough goals but he's still on course to reach 20 goals um, in all competitions this season, which, you know, is what is expected of him. He's uh, still one of the best strikers in Europe for me. Um, He's a predator in the box, but he can also score those Thierry Henry style goals, as you mentioned earlier, you know, from the left-hand side, cutting inside. Um, We saw it against Burnley at the weekend. Revenge is is a strong word. I think it's more from, for the fans, they probably feel that way. For Mikel Arteta, it's just about just about getting through because um, what happened last season will live long in the memory of many Arsenal fans. I think, including myself, that the, the commentary, the El Arabi, is still ringing in my ears like right now. I, I think it's it's unforgettable, really, what happened and the way it happened, the circumstances. Um, such an entertaining game, but the way Arsenal lost that game, uh, I think from from an Arsenal perspective, was was so disappointing. Um, and they can't afford to to let that happen again. And I, I have one point, and you 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 kind of touched on this uh, with with Jaka as well. The abuse and the social media presence of some of these English teams is immense. Like I remember when we drove Man City, like maybe we made a comment joking about the Ethia being the same empty or something, and like our account got like spammed with all of these accounts and. You're obviously someone who has a large following and you you write about the team. 
what is that like? Like that, that must just be crazy. I, I don't know. Like if you write something and people don't like it and they just jump on you, like, I can't imagine what it's like for, for the players. I understand. Uh, I, I can't even imagine how they feel when they do something wrong. Like in Greece, we have the newspapers, we have the commentary, we have the people swearing at you in the stadium. We don't have like almost like troll farms, like coming in with no pictures and 13 year olds. It, can you explain that a bit to our listeners as well? Because I guess, some some Greek people aren't on social media, and so they don't understand this. But if you, anyone on social media can see this, like it's a bit crazy. Like even for you, I would assume as a journalist, you get you catch some of this abuse as well, probably. Yeah, yeah, it's shocking. Uh, I mean, the players they get it a lot more than the, the journalists. I I have had it myself quite a lot over the years. So you kind of become uh, desensitized to it it just becomes part and parcel i think it's mostly on twitter um especially as people can be very anonymous on there you know you just hide behind a anonymous profile picture and you can say what you want and there's no real consequences for what you say on twitter um in particular i've reported tweets before which have been um threatening abusive and they haven't been removed um and twitter has said that you know there's nothing wrong with them that you know free speech that kind of stuff I think this season, Arsenal players, the likes of Eddie and Ketty, and not just Arsenal players, Premier League players and, and beyond, have received racist abuse, homophobic abuse, um, death threats. Mikel Arteta's family have received death threats. It's it's horrific, um, and it's up to the it's up to the, the the social media companies to to take a handle of this because they're the ones who are allowing this to happen. Um, they're the ones who are in charge of the platforms and they're the ones who can remove this. And they can also identify the people who are doing it from their IP addresses, from from these kind of things as well. But you mentioned that it's a, a Premier League thing. I think, it, it, I mean, you're, you guys are better placed to, to answer, but it happens in Greece as well. When when Socrates joined Olympiakos, I, um, I was on his Facebook page and the comments that he got I mean, some of them were memes, like some of them are, you know, kind of Greek humor memes and, and funny. But there was also, um, you know, I know Socrates personally. I know his family. He was getting threats and stuff towards his family. I mean, that kind of stuff, I just don't understand. And it's unacceptable. And, you know, we've spoken about Socrates a lot to, uh, tonight, but I think you know, he made the move that was best for his family. And I know Ike fans probably not happy about that, but he made the move that made the most sense. You know, there are some teams in Greece who who don't pay on time. Um, Olympia Costa, not one of those teams. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing for him is that, you know, he's at a team now where he can, he can challenge in, in Europe. He can win trophies. Uh, it's a good move for him, but yeah, the abuse is, is is dis- disgusting on on all levels. Um, it needs to be cut out, and um, uh, I mean, I don't really see any improvement at the moment, which is a concern. But hopefully, these the social media companies will will do something to stamp it out soon. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just say, Greeks are a bit behind, so they're not really on Twitter. They're mostly on Facebook. You know, the, the boomer generation, so that's how they get it across. But one last question, I I, I really have is. So you, you usually said in the media section for these games, some of the big jokes and so that I've read is like the Greek reporters are not really reporters. Sometimes they're almost like fans, like they jump up and they're cheering. Have you had that experience? I guess you, you've probably seen some of these Olympiakos reporters who travel with the team. Like 
because there's always a joke in English media. They like have a camera there behind and like the reporters go jumping in the air if Olympiaco scores. So I don't know if you've ever seen that as well, but yeah. I've never seen it. I'd love to see it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> myself, uh, I've, I think I've celebrated maybe once, which I know is not professional. I think it was the FA Cup final, which is understandable, right? Your, your team are, are winning a trophy, but then you quickly realize that everyone else is kind of sat down and you sit back down very quickly. But yeah, look, the, the passion is, is one thing I, I love about Greece, not just in football, in terms of the country itself. You know, Greeks are passionate people and very different from English people as well. Um, and English football is very different from Greek football. But, you know, the, the passion in the fans is, is one aspect why I think Arsenal have the edge in these two ties. I think the fact that the, Olympiac, uh, the Olympiacos fans aren't inside the stadium, uh, the Emirates or the Karaskakis, is, is a massive boost for Arsenal uh, because they make a huge impact. Um, you know, some of the loudest most like raucous fans in, in Europe. And I think the fact that they're not going to be inside the stadium is a huge boost um, in terms of Arsenal, uh, you know, winning and being able to focus and concentrate on, on winning the tie. Everyone that we've spoken to uh, outside of Greece, of course, that has come to Greece, that uh, is going to be playing against Olympiacos, everyone has brought that up, that a positive is that we won't have fans going into the game. The atmosphere in Karaskaiki is one of the most hostile atmospheres for visiting teams. And it's definitely an, an edge and, and something that we need from our 12th man, so to speak, to really help us push forward. And we're not going to have that. Uh, now, Chris, we did actually have some fan questions, but funny enough, I mean, it was like you had the fan questions in front of you. You answered them all kind of as we were going through. But we do have one. Uh, that you haven't answered yet. And I would really love to hear your opinion on this. So from um, Gate 7 Montreal, uh, or at Gate 7 Montreal, it's George, um, good friend of the pod, loyal listener. Uh, his question is, if we knock you out, will you hate us more than Tottenham? <laughs> uh, no, that's impossible. <laughs> Arsenal fans will never hate any team more than they do with Tottenham I think Tottenham are, are despised by by every Arsenal fan and that that's always going to be the case until um <laughs> until the world ends yeah it's always going to be like that well that's understandable to be fair and I also Chris I want to say um you mentioned celebrating in the FA Cup final and feeling a little bit guilty with the other reporters around I think it was probably just because you had a bunch of Chelsea and Spurs fans in the room with you and they might have been a little bit jealous so you know I think I can totally understand being uh, being very excited about that result. Um, we have one last question for you, and it is a little bit on the spot, but we're going to ask for your prediction. Now, be honest. If if you if you know we're not going to be offended if you think you know Arsenal are going to pop us and knock us out, but um, whether it's just general, who do you think is going to go through in the tie, or whether you have a prediction about the scoreline of the games, we want to know. What's your take for Arsenal versus Olympiacos? I will be offended if you say David Luiz is going to score. <laughs> I, I don't think David Luiz is going to score. I'm going to put my, my head <laughs> on the line and say that now. I don't think he's going to score. Um, I, I'd say, like I already cut, said earlier, but I think it's going to be a tight game. We know what to expect from both sides. Um, I think Arsenal know 
Olympiacos as well as Olympiacos now Arsenal at the moment. Uh, Arsenal know the stadium really well. They played there a few weeks ago against um, against Benfica. It's, it's kind of crazy to think about it. Um, I, I'm confident that Arsenal are going to go through purely for the, the reasons that I've already stated. I, I think the fans play a big part. The fact that Arsenal have a fully fit squad to choose from. Um, that players are starting to come into form, like Willian, who we didn't expect to come into form. Smith Rowe is back. Partey is back. I just think all of these kind of factors put together give Arsenal a good chance of going through. So if I was going to predict a score prediction, I'd go for, um, I guess, over aggregate, maybe a 4-2 or a 3-2 to Arsenal, of course. I don't want well, to make a prediction, but I mean, the last tie we had against PSV, they were both very exciting games. Lots of goals, free-flowing. I kind of have the feeling it, it it's going to be another two games that are going to be good to watch. Um, for the neutral, we're probably going to have our hearts in mouth most of the time. Uh, as the last few fixtures, Olympiacos Arsenal have proven in the past. So I'm looking forward to to four exciting games and I'm happy we're going into these into these ties as the underdog. I think with PSV there was almost an expectation from us to pro- to progress. Um but this time I think we're clearly clearly underdog and uh that suits us and I think there are you know for a lot of players in our squad this is such a huge uh, window opportunity for them to showcase their talents, whether it's players like uh, Madi Kamara or whether it's uh, Oleg on the left. For everyone, this is really, I mean, it's the big time. It doesn't get bigger than than this. And Arsenal is really one of those teams that's going to be challenging to win this competition. So uh, it's it's a hugely massive game. For, for both teams, really looking forward to it. Do you have any questions for us? Yeah, yeah. I was actually just thinking, as you were speaking, I was thinking you mentioned Oleg, um, the, did you say left back, right back? Left back. Left back. Left back. He's a new signing, isn't he? I mean, what what kind of threat do you think Olympiacos will pose this season to Arsenal um, compared to last season? Do you think that there's going to be anything different or something um, that Arsenal should kind of look out for? And I can tell Mikel Arteta. You're going to give the scouting report. Adi, don't say anything. Because Adi has the Y Scout ready to go. So put the Y Scout data away, Adi. Like, <laughs> don't bring that up for this answer. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to let Ari dig in a bit deeper. But what I will say is that it's a bit of a different team to last year it's not it's not the same team I, I, I won't say it's that this team's better or or worse it's different it's a different team Jan MV is a very important player for us uh defensive midfielder that Arsenal was looking at I think 10 years ago when when Wenger was was manager he's a very very important player for us um Buchalakis as well like I mean that midfield on its day Plays in Premier League, like those players can play in the Premier League. Mvia, Camara, uh, even Bukalagis, Fortunis. Fortunis is a player that can come off the bench and change the game. 
it's big question mark on whether he's actually going to start on Thursday. Normally, Valbuena has been been starting in the big European games. Um, so, you know, another thing maybe is that it's going to be hard for the Arsenal team to analyse us, I think, because you don't get a lot of footage of the Greek football. And I'll assume they'll be watching the tape of all the Champions League games that we played. Those tapes, they will tell you nothing about the team that we have now because we made two signings over Christmas, um, two wing-backs. And the wing-backs that we had in the Champions League were Holebas on the left and Rafinha on the right. They just weren't giving us the width and the overlaps that we needed to play the kind of football that we played last year. And the two wing-backs that we have now they are giving that back to us. So, yeah, I would say the six games from the Champions League, if they're going to use that as a tool to analyse us, that's not really going to give an accurate picture. And all throughout there, there's going to be a massive wild card with Bruma. He's a player that's hot and cold. He's a winger that went for 13 million euros to PSV. And sometimes that big money transfer comes out and sometimes it just goes cold and he disappears. Maybe this is a game where he he, he showed up in the pace phase ties. I think we can say that. Um, he's going to, yeah, he showed up in the first leg and then he disappeared and then he came back and then he disappeared. Very hot and cold. Let's just put it that way. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he shows up. And I think he could be a real X factor for us, including the midfield. And one last point we got to throw out our, our central defense. Ruben Semedo went down with the knee injury. He's our best central defender. He's probably the best central defender I've seen at Olympiacos in over 10 years. I'm going to be honest. He would have started. Uh, Usain Uba went off today, injured, but Coach Martin said he's going to be okay. And if he wouldn't play, Jan Envia would have played at central defense. So we're very thin. And Socrates is coming back into form. You know, he was playing with the U23s, but it's taken him a little while and, and he's a bit older. So those, I would say, Bruma, X-Factor, and central defense, there's no one else right now. Ruben Tomato's down. Avram has been dealing with injuries. There's really no one else right now. So we need those guys to stay fit and hopefully they're ready to go. And Socrates is, he's not injured. I saw, I was watching the first half against uh, Lamia today and um, didn't he come off with a shoulder injury? Or he's he had, like, carrying a, a bit of a shoulder injury yeah, from yeah. a couple of games ago. Yeah, he yeah. got nailed with an overhead kick against Aris, I think, in the cup and had to come off and... Honestly, I don't think he would have played if Semedo was fit, right? I, I think it would have been Semedo and Ba. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting. He He's getting this chance to play against his old team, which I don't think he would have really gotten if um, both of those guys were fit. Chris, more to your question about Oleg. Oleg is going to be a different player than Tsimikas was. Tsimikas defensively was stellar. I mean, he held... You'll remember for both those legs, he held Pepe in check. He did quite well when they when it was switched and he was up against Obama Yang at one point as well. He also did very well against Traore. Uh, it was, there were eight one-on-one dribble attempts, and he snuffed out Traore in seven of them, a guy that was way bigger and faster than he was. Oleg's a little bit different. Going forward, Oleg has a slightly, I'll say, a more diverse skill set going forward so far from what we've seen. And he's got speed. Oleg is like lightning. Uh, I like to call him the Moldovan lightning because he's 
he can just torch down that left side. But this Olympiacos team it has a different look. We Our pressing intensity is way higher. Uh, if you look at PPDA, the PPDA is lower. So we pressure, we have more defensive actions with less passes than we did last year, which is kind of weird to think about, but especially in the last couple of months, it's up there. So I know the press was kind of what threw some parts of the game, threw Arsenal off in some parts of the game in the last meeting we had. So the pressing intensity is even better this year. Now that things have kind of settled down, the players have gotten to know each other. The the one kind of difference is, like Costa uh, brought up earlier, now instead of having Guillerme, who was a player that was very ferocious off the ball defensively, but also had a neat touch and could get forward. We have Jan and Vila who can sit back. And I mean, he's got a gorgeous long ball, uh, incredible vision. Um, Something that we kind of doubted when he first came in. Uh, But now that he's settled with the team, I mean, he's probably the, the most important, if not one of the most important part and pieces of the team. So the team is a little bit different. There's a lot of the same core pieces, obviously, same important core pieces, but there's a couple of different looks now. And the overlapping wingbacks, which is so important to our team, is back. Uh, now, one side hasn't really settled. They're still kind of new, but the, that part of the team now is kind of hitting full stride. That's really interesting to, to hear. I would say that one of the things that... Maybe from an Arsenal perspective, I'm a bit concerned about is the fact that with the league pretty much wrapped up, uh, I feel like Olympiacos can just go all guns blazing in this. Whereas Arsenal, I think, still kind of have one eye on on the Premier League as well and trying to get as high up as possible as they can in the table. So I think from from that kind of perspective, a bit concerned um, in terms of you mentioned the analysis of of the the Champions League games I think Arsenal can't really look at the Lamia game today and I don't think that will help them much because it was pretty much an exhibition game um you know the game was over after like 30 35 minutes um but it's going to be really interesting and uh, I, I'm really looking I'm sure you guys as well really looking forward to to these games it's always good fun when a English team comes up against a Greek team and we've seen the the likes of Asteras, uh, Panathinaikos more uh, a long time ago, but um, yeah, I can't wait to I can't wait for these games and uh, fingers crossed that it'll be similar entertainment to, to last year's. What's going to be really interesting for me is you have a team right now, Olympiacos, that is terrible at defending set pieces. We've conceded ten of the thirteen goals we've conceded since December twentieth of last year have been set pieces, non-penalty set pieces, by the way. But then you have Arsenal, who statistically score the least offensively from set pieces. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out, if set pieces will end up being the detriment of our team or uh, if Arsenal is going to be able to convert any of them from that respect. It's funny as well, because Arsenal brought in a set piece coach in the summer excuse me, uh, Andreas uh, Jorgsen from Brentford. They brought him in as the kind of main set piece coach to work on uh, like corner routines, free kick routines, and also defending set pieces, which is one area, you know, that they have really improved on. But as you mentioned, offensively um, from set pieces, they really struggle to to do anything. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting. Fingers crossed. 
Well, we are all very, very excited for this game. And uh, yeah, hopefully Arsenal don't figure out how to score on set pieces. And uh, maybe if they don't do that, then we'll be okay to go through. But uh, Chris, I think this will about wrap up our our uh, chat with you for today. I want to say thank you again so much for coming on. We had a great time and we hope you enjoyed as much as we did uh, talking about Greek football a little bit. And it was also very cool to, to learn your connection to Greece as well. I, I didn't know that before we started the interview. So that was very cool. Um, before we let you go, we do want to give you the opportunity, as we do with all our guests, to let the listeners know where they can follow you on social media and also where they can keep up with any sort of content you're producing, whether it's writing or, you know, whatever you're getting into. So, you know, before you head out, feel free to let people know uh, where they can keep up with you. Yeah, and no, I would just only say one thing is that um, hopefully you've got an interview with uh, a player who is going to be involved in these games uh, over the next week. So I'd say look out for that on football.london, which is the website that um, I, I cover Arsenal for. Um, you can follow me on Chris Wheatley underscore um, on all my social medias. And uh, yeah, like just it's been great fun speaking to you guys. Um, and uh, hopefully we can uh, speak again soon. It wouldn't happen to be Greek, the player you're interviewing. <laughs> <I'm not gonna laughs> quite, quite possibly. Quite possibly. <laughs> he may have played for both clubs as well. Oh, well, stay tuned, folks. Football.London. It's going to be the place where it all goes down. We're very excited to see who that might be. It's not Mavropanos, though, is it? Oh, I have to, I, I have to ask you, is it? Uh, you loaned him out to Stuttgart. Yeah. Yeah. What's, yeah. Happening, what's, what's happening with him? Are you selling him? Like, what's the story with Mavrobanos? Uh, yeah. No, he, he spent um, last season on loan at Nuremberg in Bundesliga 2 and uh, survived relegation on the final day, like a last minute goal. So it was an amazing experience for him. And now he's at, at Stuttgart under Sven Mislintat, the former Arsenal um, head, head of recruitment. He's doing really well out there. He had a, a few injury problems, um, his groin, and then he had an operation on his meniscus, his knee. He's back now and uh, he's doing so well. He's um, one of the best, statistically one of the best defenders in the Bundesliga in terms of, um, in terms of, uh, I think, interceptions. Yeah. He's very he's high up. And interceptions, yeah. Yep. Um, and he's doing really well out there. For a team who are very young, Stuttgart have some really good, um, young players um, but they're you know they're not the like you're not they're not the top kind of four team in the Bundesliga so they're doing really well in terms of his future at Arsenal from what I understand he's gonna come back for pre-season Mikel Arteta will take a look at him and a decision will be made but he's got a contract until 2023 so I think there's going to be a lot of teams interested in him this summer um, Stuttgart would love to extend his loan for another season, but I don't know um, if that if that's going to be possible. But yeah, I'm really excited about Dinos. I think he should be playing for Arsenal at the moment. Um, he's a he's a really good defender, very very humble as well. Um, he's got all the ingredients to become a, a top class centre back for the, for Arsenal or you know another big um, team in Europe. I think the system, correct me if I'm wrong, in Stuttgart really helps him shine and flourish and, you know, realize his full potential as a player as well. I think the move has been really good for him. Hopefully, in the interest of the Greek national team, you know, we've had many discussions on social media. Hopefully he can stay healthy and we can see more of this and, 
really figure out what he's going to be. Because as you say, if he can stay on the pitch, he's got top potential and, a, and it seems like a good mentality as well. There's also, I don't know if we're, we're pushed for time, but I'm just thinking off the top of my head, um, Panos Retsos as well, who's had a lot of injury problems, um, but he's currently on loan at St. Etienne. He's another centre-back who uh, I know a lot of people have high hopes for. I know he's been troubled with injury, but I think Greece have a lot of young top centre-backs um, in their squad who you know really could play a big part um, in, in top European teams over the next few years. So um, I think that's good news for Greece and Greek football. And um, yeah, looking forward to seeing their, their progress and development over the next few years. Yeah, we'll have to see. They, they could all become very exciting. You wouldn't believe the fights that take place on social media about our centre-back pairing. You have no idea. Because we have Socrates and Manolas, who, you know, they're not being called up. Well, they haven't been called up for over a year. And then you've got all of these players, including Dinos and, and, and Panos Retsos, who haven't been called up. And that's, uh, that's an interesting one. If you really want to dig into what's going on with the Greek national team. Uh, that's a very, very sensitive topic. Yeah, and if I can recommend the Greek player you may be speaking with, you would break a ton of news in in Greece if you ask a bit if he's going to return to the national team or if there's been discussions about that. That would make every single headline in the country. I don't know yeah. if who you're talking to, just in theory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think there's been some rumours, hasn't there, this week in, in Greece that he's he's holding discussions with the, uh, the assistant nothing, manager or the manager, yeah. but I don't think... Nothing concrete, though. So if it comes from him that he's even had a phone call, we don't even know that. So that would break news. So big story, I would say. I'll keep it in mind. <laughs> anyway, Chris, I think we're, we'll let you go now. It's, it's reasonably late in the UK, um, but thank you again for joining and uh, yeah, we look forward to continuing to chat with you about the game. And yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that interview that you mentioned as well. It should be very interesting. But yeah, take care and uh, stay safe. Thanks again, guys. And I really enjoyed it tonight. And uh, good luck uh, for the rest of the season, except the, the next two games. <laughs> <laughs> Same to you. Just, yeah, just not those two games. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Take care, guys. Well, we did have a game in the Greek Super League this weekend as well. 3-0 Olympiakos beats Lamia, our second-to-last game in the uh, pre-divide of the Super League. Goals for Bruma, Fortunis, and El Arabi. Anything to say about this match, guys? Any thoughts? Great friendly. Lovely friendly. <laughs> Anything else? MVP Fortuny. A, a plus Martins. for Martins. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Okay. Good analysis. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you all for listening, especially if you've made it this far. <laughs> Continue to, uh, to check in with us on social media. We'll, we'll post our episodes on YouTube now as well. Leave a review. As we've said, we'll read out the reviews, whether they're good or bad. And uh, keep an eye out for some more exciting Arsenal-themed interviews with a huge tie coming up. Remember, Thursday is the big game, but we have the episode with the Don Robbie himself coming out on Tuesday before that. Thanks again to Chris for joining and everybody enjoy the rest of your week. Go Olympiacos and we will see you very soon.